So obviously you've heard a lot about Thousand Acts of Kindness. And uh, here's what you need to know. Behind this, behind this drive, so yeah, we have this, this software tool. Yeah, we have this like neat thing. We have a hashtag. We have green little coaster cards. We have these different things. But behind all of these tools and mechanisms is actually the, the innate desire in our hearts as followers of God to do something great in the world. If you have Jesus living inside you, Christ in you wants to do something through you in the world. It comes automatically with the presence of God. If you have Jesus in your life, that is already inside you. And I believe that most Christians are actually connected to that urge, okay? We're connected that, wow, Jesus saved me. And that he's empowered me. He said amazing things about things that I'll be participating with him in. And so there's this innate calling, this innate desire to participate in that. But our human minds get caught up. Our minds get caught up in the details and the drama and the confusion of how to do it. And so we, we usually opt to say, well, it's, it's pretty complex. I mean, I'm not licensed to do these things. And the church is like, you know, really set up this way and I do this and I'm not that great of a person. Maybe not that great a person, but I'm not that talented of a person. Uh, and so we have all these things that go through our mind that, that combat this innate desire. I was listening to Gabe Lyons uh, recently, he's a you know thought leader in, in kind of modern Christianity, and and he quoted um, a couple neat things talking about culture, and he says that the the best way to change culture is actually to create culture, that we are called to bring restoration. Your mission in your salvation is for reconciliation, redeeming the world, and so. Uh, we are called to restoring things of this world. And so when we're called to restoration, we don't get the luxury of criticizing everything we see wrong around us. When we see things wrong around us, it's actually like, well, duh, you've been called to restore things. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And he also talked about how Christians are easily uh, offended. And we're not called to be offended. We're actually called to be provoked. Provoked versus offended. When you're offended, you isolate. You're like, oh, I'm going to be this way. You know, you, you like separate. But when you're provoked, we as Christians were called to be provoked. It means that we're like brought to attention. Is that the, the blueprint for Christians is actually to run to the thing that provokes it. So as we see brokenness, as we see uh, uh, evil, as we see damage and, and things, that we are actually provoked to run to it, not from it. So what I'm going to share with you are the four things. If you have that desire, if you are in touch with that urge to do something, there are four things you have to know if you want to change people, change lives, and change culture. There's four things that I believe are the biblical blueprint for change in the world. And the first one is this, is that God is waiting on you. I'm not paid to do this, otherwise I'd lose my job about now. No, I'm just using <laughs> I wouldn't lose my job. But God is waiting on you. Now, here's the first thought. I was like, how dare he say that? That's not what I've always been taught. I know. We've all been taught it's the other way around, right? We've had the exact opposite theology where we wait on the Lord. We stand back and we watch God do something. We get out of the way and let God be God, right? We give to God and let God be God. Right? We have all these different phrases. God has it under control. God has it. Get out of the way. I was talking to um, a friend about the current political nightmare that's out there and all the world of events. 
And so this gal's like talking. She's like, man, God is up to something. I'm like, hmm? <laughs> really? Man, because I don't know if God's up to something because this is, this is pretty trying times. Another person, we we're talking about this same topic, and it said, God knows what he's doing. And again, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know because I see a lot of Christians on the sideline. See, we have this two-tier uh, society in our theology. It's that God does something, and then the, the Christians, they just worship God doing that thing. That God is the one who does everything, and the Christians sit back and just golf clap. Good job, Jesus. We pray, we worship God, but God is the one who does things. And, and we lowly Christians, we sit back and, you know, you know we worship God. Amen? Right. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We worship God. We praise him. He's a good father. But you know what? He's called us into union with him to change the world. It's not that you sit down and get out of the way as, as God does all the work. He's like, I've called you into partnership with me to do these things. Certainly God is active in doing things. But the problem is that we, a lot of Christianity right now is waiting for God to intervene. And God isn't intervening. Why? Because people aren't intervening. There's so much of Christianity today that's sitting back on their hands, on their butts, and saying, God, what are you doing? And God is saying, what are you doing? I left you in charge. When Jesus left the earth, he says, I have given you authority. And here we have this, this pattern of Christians of to gripe and complain about, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? Here's the awesome thing about it, is that everything God is going to do, he chooses to do through his people. The good news is that the solutions to all the world's problems are already present in the people of God. Let me say that again. All the problems in the world are presently answered in the people of God. John Piper said, the greatest hindrance to the move of God is God's own people failing to behave like God's own people. Everything God's going to do, he chooses to do it through his people. Now that's problematic when you have a whole bunch of Christians whose theology says, I need to get out of the way, right? You see why that's a problem? We sing songs, we wait for you, right? But it's actually the other way around. Here's the thing is that the majority of the Bible, God is waiting for his people to act. Sometime when I have enough time, I'm going to go end to end through the Bible and look to affirm this theory. I keep on finding it over and over again where God says, I have a promise, but we're doing this together. I'm not going it alone. As I'm looking through the miracles, the breakthroughs, I see God always insisting on partnership in the redemption of the world with man. Even I turn to Revelation, right? What is this, the final coming of Christ? What does he do then? You know what he does? He brings all of us. All the saints join Christ at the final coming of Christ. It's not he's like, hey, I'll be right back. No, he's taking all of us. There is this pattern that's amazing that everything that Christ does on the earth, he chooses to partner with man. Even in Jesus, right? Jesus was fully man. Again, patterning the pattern of man and the Father agreeing and having a breakthrough together. It's amazing that God accomplishes his will through partnering with the will of people on earth. How does God accomplish his will on earth? By partnering with the will of man. 
And so that urge, that desire you feel when you participate, when you cooperate with that, you're actually partnering with God's will being done on earth. Here's an interesting passage that I've read many, many times but never understood until just this week. It's 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Okay, got that? Our amen. That's an interesting way of putting it. Everyone say our. Our, our amen. Why would it say our amen to the glory of God through us? That doesn't make sense. It says, so, so, so watch me, because this is like, you know, Paul's right in this. He's very wordy sometimes. He's like, all the promises of God are yes through our amen. Okay? Anybody confused? You're like, it sounds biblical, but I'm really confused what that means. I am too. Now, some people say you can't say amen without the power of God. It's like, amen. I didn't feel God's power right there. I don't know. Like, I feel perfectly capable of saying that. I say amen to burritos, okay? So I don't think I'm, like, empowered by the Holy Spirit to say amen. So, like, what is it about that God's saying his promises are yes through our amen to the glory of God? What was it about that passage that I'm missing? Help me understand. So I looked up the word amen. In Hebrew, often it's translated as, you guys know this, do it again. This is pretty neat. This is in Greek. What does amen in the Greek usually mean? Because there's multiple versions. Well, one of them means make it so or be confirmed. Make it so or be confirmed. Let me say it again this way. The promises of God are yes through our making it so to the glory of God. Are you feeling me? The promises of God are yes through our confirming it, making it so. That means that God has promises that are yes, that are waiting on our action. They're waiting on our participation. They're waiting on our cooperation. The miracles of God could literally be waiting for you to step forward and act. Now, I don't mean like getting on a plane to Syria, possibly, because I don't think you can fly there right now anyways. But as simple as something is just, I'm committing to pray. I'm committing to interceding. I'm committing to showing up. I'm committing to standing up. I'm committing to not being afraid. There's so many ways that we can actually take a step forward and cooperate with God. That God's saying, when you cooperate, when you move forward, you are releasing the yes of the promise I've already declared. But for the Christians to do nothing and to complain is completely outside the model, outside the realm that he designed for us to have. Matthew 16, 19 says, I have given you the keys of the kingdom. I've given you. He says, you will do greater things than me. When we really think about what the Bible says about you, it is absolutely mind-blowing. And so when I say, God is waiting on you, it's not a guilt trip. It's actually a welcome card. It's an invitation. It's a welcome mat. It says that we've come together with God to join with him in the renewal of all things. So if you want to change the world, you want to change people, you want to change culture, don't pick up a sign. Pick up your feet. Go out and do something. Pick up a card. Become something to somebody. Show up to some place and be the presence of God manifest there. 
The funny thing is that I have a uh, stylist, and he is probably, <clears throat> this is recorded, let me put it a different way, because I was going to say something that was, something I'd say with friends, <laughs> but he is not saved by a long shot, okay? Uh, he routinely, while he's cutting my hair, will like talk about all the Christian, religious, you know, right-wing conspiracy, you know, as I like, cut my hair, and uh, he's a gay man, he is like very out there, like just in charge of like destroying conservatism, <laughs> not necessarily conservative, but like he's, he, you get him on a rant, he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. He has no idea that I preach the gospel, right? I haven't seen him for two years. He charges, I think, like $15 for a haircut. And I think it's a pretty good one. For the past two years, I pay him $40 every single haircut. Every single time, he's like, he lasts me for the tips, like 20, it's like 40. Every single time. I tell him, it's like, I think it's a really good haircut. It's actually worth that. It's my protest. And so he had this struggling website, and I've like sworn off ever doing another website again. And so he had this like challenge. So one of my acts of kindness was actually to do his website. And he has no idea, right? I'm like just this like schmuck that gets his hair cut. And so that was my act of kindness. Like I want to, when he finds out more about my life, because I'm not trying to make him a project or agenda. I'm just trying to show up. And when he finds out about my life, I want his mind to be blown. <laughs> him? Yeah. That guy? I'm not looking for myself ever to be recognized in him, but I want that one example in his life. I can say, all the Christians are terrible, but this one guy. I want to be that one guy. I don't know if that day will ever come. But that's what I've put myself out there to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to act. I'm going to do something consistent for him. He's not my project. I'm just going to be radically kind to him for a long period of time. If he ever asks me the question about why the way I am, I have a good answer. The second thing is that God is not in competition with you. God is not in competition with you. Now, I've preached this before, but some topics are just so good they're worth repeating. And this is one of those things. And then in Christianity, why do we talk about like posting pictures? Because, you know, to post pictures of the kind thing you did kind of feels anti-biblical, right? It kind of feels like, I shouldn't be drawing attention to myself. All the glory should be going to God, right? Now, we have Christians that are more concerned with God getting the glory than actually going and changing the world. Where Christians are more afraid that someone would call them prideful than going out and changing someone's life for the better. There's this false humility that's in Christianity that's really toxic. Because what it does is it, it, it perpetually lowers God's righteous, wonderful, loving people to dirt. When actually we should say, I'm like, I'm God's beloved. I'm his son. I've been redeemed. My life has been saved. Jesus went to the cross for me. We should stand up and be like, yeah, God, God loved me so much that that's what he did for me. But there's this, this element to doing great things for the kingdom, impact in the world, where we, we become afraid because we don't want the glory to come upon us. Oh, God, you need to get all the glory. We think, I would do that, but then I would get all the glory. And Jesus, I don't want to get all the glory, so I'm just going to let you do that. See this big cycle, right? Now, the enemy, this is a trick of the enemy. The enemy actually tricks you into thinking, God must get all the glory, so I won't do anything. And in that the enemy has accomplished 
his desire in minimizing God's people. All that Satan needs to do to keep all of us inactive in changing the world and changing lives is to be terrified that someone's going to accuse us of being prideful. Terrify us of having too much attention brought to ourselves. It's made God's people insecure, timid, and shy. Now that doesn't sound like 2 Timothy 1.7, if you know what that passage says. It says the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. But in the mind of so many of us, God is a glory hog who is insecure and seeking himself above all things. If we spend half the energy that we spend making sure that God gets the glory and reducing ourselves and use it to actually dream with God, our churches, our cities would look a lot different. If we spend half the time that we put into trying to lower ourselves so that God would be elevated and spend that time dreaming with God, saying, God, what if? God, what would happen if we combined our efforts and if we combined our cities and our churches and what if we asked those questions, what would happen? Let me give you an example. My daughter, Scarlett, she's four. She's been enrolled in this uh, Spanish immersion preschool. Let me, uh, I would love to talk about that for a long time. Anyways, uh, they can't, they technically can't speak English at this school, but it's, it's called Spanish immersion to make us feel better. Uh, but it's this uh, Spanish immersion program where she's just like, taught Spanish all day long. And I thought it was like, oh, they're teaching her Spanish, and, but I can't have a conversation with the teachers there. So it's just humorous to me for that reason. So, uh, but she learns to sing songs in Spanish. And she can sing Itsy Bitsy Spider in Spanish. La pequeña rana. So we went to, to Mexico over Thanksgiving. And so obviously there's a lot of people that speak Spanish in Mexico. And so we love to have her sing Itsy Bitsy Spider in Spanish. And the people were like, oh, start clapping, you know, like, and would, like, she would, like, love it, and, you know, people clap. Now, how lame would it be if I, like, stop the clapping, all the glory goes to me. I paid for those Spanish lessons. <laughs> That'd be the most awkward moment ever. Ever. The here, like, my daughter is being adored and, and praised for something that she's done that, that's, that's, that's well and is good. And then here comes this insecure, glory-hogging father says, no, I get the glory. How dare you? That's not that different from what many people think about God when it comes to God's people doing great things and becoming whoever you are, becoming the best that you are at it, doing something and doing it well and saying, yep, that was awesome. I want my daughter to be recognized. A good father is pleased and satisfied with their child being recognized. Why? It's because she belongs to me. There's no such thing as my daughter getting glory that I don't get. She belongs to me. Everything that comes to her comes to me. It's the exact biblical blueprint that we have with our Father. All praise that goes to you. You don't need to like do like this reflecting stuff. It's like all glory that goes to you goes to the Father and just say, yeah. I already know that my town, I already know that every breath comes from God. I already know that. And so I can be liberated to know that I wouldn't be even in existence without my Father. So I don't need to keep telling you why I have no good thing, but it's only God in me. Like it's this really complicated disclaimer we give. Say, thank you. I have a great father who loves me, who's gifted me. If you want to get into that, you can say that. 
But a good father, he's not insecure about his children. And so you should be liberated to do amazing things and to do them well and to know that God isn't like, ooh, don't get too prideful. He's not thinking that. In fact, look at what Isaiah 60, verse 1 says. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Upon you, the glory of the Lord. You don't have to try and give God all the glory because it's actually the word. He's actually trying to give you glory. Is that insane? You're concerned about giving him the glory, and he is giving you glory. It's actually impossible. It's metaphysically, spiritually impossible for you to receive anything that he doesn't get because you are united with him. It's not I who live, but Christ lives through me. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You are fused on a spiritual, molecular, physical, inner, celestial level. Every single level you can think of, you are united with Christ. And so there is nothing that you can receive that he doesn't receive. So go and be awesome because you belong to him. Just don't be a jerk. That's all. Number three, we're talking about blueprints, things you have to know in order to change culture, change lives, change the world, is that God speaks through broken hearts. It was funny when Mark was talking about how his heart was breaking. It's like, that's God speaking. Sometime next year, I'm going to talk again on how to hear the voice of God. We have the small group. Um, I hope this, this one's in there, but for me personally, God speaks to me in many ways, but one of those is this broken heart, this heart that pings, this heart that twinges with pain. Sometimes we overthink how God speaks to us. When he comes in a thunderous cloud, a lightning bolt that's thrown, <laughs> you know, we, a parking space that's missed, I don't know. Like we, we, we overthink how God speaks to us. And the most tangible way that God speaks to me usually is just with a broken heart. A heart that says, oh, man. There's this amazing pattern. If you look and follow Jesus' miracles, something that many times precedes the miracle that Jesus says, you know what it is? And with compassion. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, he's like, and feeling compassion. When thinking of the city, he's like, and he wept for the city. Right? Like we have this like preceding emotion, this preceding experience that Jesus has in his heart before having a breakthrough with a person. For example, in Matthew 20, and moved with, with compassion, Jesus touches their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. For the woman whose only son died, and they're carrying out the coffin in Luke 7, it says, and he felt compassion for her and said, Do not weep, and he raised him from the dead. And with compassion, this preceding thought that happens before there's a breakthrough that God speaks to us in these times where our hearts get moved. And you don't even need to go search out for opportunities. Opportunities are out there. The model of Jesus, he wasn't like, all right, I need to go and like, you know, go to seven cities and find things to do. He's like, he just lived his life and responded. We overthink our Christianity like, I need to be busy for God. It's like, no, just love God, live in the moment, and be aware and respond as the opportunity arises. Galatians 6, 9 says this, as you have the opportunity, do good to all people. If you live your everyday life just aware of my heart and the opportunity around me, you will do so much for the kingdom of God, you will be astounded. But the thing is, we say, well, I have a certain time and date in which I do my work for God. 
If it's not on that time and date, if it's not on that planned volunteer to opportunity, if it's not that time, I don't do it. If we just live in the awareness of as I have the opportunity, do good to all people. And when that heart moves, you just have to ask yourself and ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What are you saying in this situation? My heart is being moved. Now this weekend, it was like obviously kind of the, the day where the universe went and did Christmas decorations, apparently. Our entire house was sick. Has anybody been sick recently? It's not fun. So we're like, we're sick. We're like, the goal this weekend is to get a Christmas tree, which we got a pink Christmas tree. And the goal is to get Christmas tree lights on our house, which has been the joke of like my existence for how terrible I am at Christmas lights. And now I feel sick too. So we're like going this like enormous journey to find a pink Christmas tree. Like now we got to go buy lights. And so we go to Home Depot. We pull up into Home Depot. and We're like, what's that smell? Like Maverick's back there, he's like, P you. <laughs> and I saw, and he says P you in the cutest ways. It's really, really funny. Actually, uh, so. <laughs> no, I'm going to, I'll just play it here. How, how about that? How, I'll play that. So anytime he gets a whiff of anything, he's like, P you. And it's, it just, I just laughed so hard. So I, I had to obviously record it. So. Anyways, so yeah, so we, we pull up in the Home Depot and he's like, P.U. Like, oh, stinks. So we get out and like, I'm in my truck, right? And we got two car seats, we pull them out, just diarrhea everywhere. <laughs> we have nowhere to change. We're in the, the Home Depot parking lot. So we pull down the tailgate, right? My daughter's like bouncing around the back of the truck. We open this diaper and like in downwind, people are like, oh, what's, and he's like bucking and bouncing. And like people driving by here, we have these legs up in the air and like, and Camille's like, she's like wiping up and is like flicking into my eye. I'm like, ah, stop it. It's like wipe down, wipe down. It's just trying to stay out of wind from it. Just, just disgusting okay on the mission to get christmas lights to hang them on the house i do not want to hang them ever again it's so frustrating so that's about a 10 minutes of like we're and we're feeling terrible like you know big garbage bag and like carrying the kids there so we're, we walk into the entrance of home depot on the corner of my eye is this woman who's sobbing and there's two duffel bags by her you know that, like, you see someone who's in need, and you're like, I didn't see that. You know? You're like, someone's on the side of the street, and, like, you know, it's the worst when it's, like, an off-ramp, there's a light, and there's someone there with a sign, and you're, like, two feet from them, and you're, like, like pretending to be in my console, changing the radio, looking at my phone. Like, you don't want to, like, don't want to look at them. So here we are, like, I'm covered in fecal matter. I'm like walking to Home Depot. And here's this woman who's sobbing with two duffel bags. So we walk a couple feet in. I get the cart. I was like, oh, I have that broken heart. I'm like, I'll be right back. So I go out and 
sit down next to the gal, and she, she's basically incoherent. She's obviously been assaulted, either from a boyfriend or husband. And I think all of her belongings are on these two duffel bags. I have no idea how long she's been there, but there's been, like, staff members out there, like, you know, moving carts back and forth. It's like, how long has this woman been here? Paying attention to nobody. And so I get a hold of her mom on the phone and, like, find out where she, you know, she's basically been kicked out of her boyfriend or her husband's house. I don't know which. I don't care which. And I just know she just, like, she can't stay at Home Depot. Like, this is like, you don't belong here. You belong somewhere else, somewhere safe that someone's going to care for you. Get a hold of her mom. Her mom's in Citrus Heights. We have an amazing time. We live in technology. Like, it's like, I have this app that hails people waiting to drive anybody they want anywhere. So I hailed an Uber. If you guys don't know what that is, it's like this on-demand car service. The driver, like, gets summons. I, I call him, like, hey, man, like, you're not taking me, but I got a little delivery for you to make. It's like, would you help rescue this woman, get somewhere else that she needs to go? He's like, totally. He's all on board. He's like, I'm a blue priest. I'll come there right now. And so, um, so as I'm talking to her, this is the detail, like, in the middle of, like, trying to figure out, what am I going to do for this woman? Camille texts me. She's like, Mav just went diarrhea again. <laughs> now, at this point, I'm thinking it's like the sprinkler of, like, you know, poo, like, flying out. Like, I have no idea what's happening in the store, because now I've been in the st- outside the store for about 10 minutes helping here. But in that moment, the thought was, like, poop can wait. Because the broken heart told me that I need to be this woman's breakthrough today. It cost me $22 on Uber, plus tip, including tip. That's where she, uh, what, did, what made me believe that she needed to go home? She needed to go somewhere. So family is where that was really the only option. I know she couldn't go back to the person she was with, obviously. So I asked her, who is your family? Do you have any family who lives here? And I called them. I talked to her mom. Her mom sounded nice. So she probably should be going somewhere else probably, but that was the solution in that moment. So but as your heart breaks, you need to be aware and ask God, what do you want me to do about this? And then do it. So as you have the opportunity, do good to all people. Here's the last thing. Is God rewards faithfulness, not effectiveness. If you want to change culture, change lives, change the world, you have to know that God's currency for rewarding people is based on faithfulness, not effectiveness. When you stand before the throne, you stand before God, he'll say, good job, well done, good and effective servant. Faithful. You are rewarded by God on faithfulness, not effectiveness. What does that mean? That means if, let's say I had bought that woman an Uber and she decides to take the Uber and actually go and, and go somewhere else and sell drugs. And maybe I completely made the wrong decision in helping send her somewhere else. But you know what? God says, I was actually faithful to that moment to rescue her. And my faithfulness to responding to what I felt God was saying, I get the credit in God's eyes of being obedient. It's kind of like people who get all hung up on like, don't give the homeless money, they're going to buy booze. It's like, I'm faithful to be generous and to provide for needs. What they do with it is not up to me. I am judged on my faithfulness to God's opportunity, not my effectiveness. 
That also means that if you host a Bible study, invite all your friends, and one person shows up, God, in his eyes, sees you as faithful to that one person as a crusade filled with a million people because you showed up. You stepped out, you did something, and you're faithful to it. But we get hung up on this whole uh, notion that it needs to be big, it needs to be super fruitful and effective, and, and sometimes God just saying, I'm just looking for people to respond and say yes. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because, look at this, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does this mean? It means that God knows we get discouraged. We don't see the fruit of our works. God knows that we can get bummed out when things don't go as perfectly well as we hoped they would be. And when we do something that kind for someone that bombs, we get bummed out. And what, Here's what we don't want to do. It, it, it wants to teach us a lesson, okay? When we do something that, that totally doesn't work out, for example, there's this guy who, I was like, I felt like, okay, I need to be this, this, this guy's burned every single bridge, and now there are no more bridges, and he needs to get across the island. Like, oh, okay. It's like, where do you need to go? What do we need to do? It's like, I need to move out. It's like, okay. He's like, well, I've already been kicked out, so I actually need to be picked up. It's like, okay. So I go and like leave work. I pick him up, put him in a hotel for a couple of days. I'm like, what do you need in your life to have a new start? He's like, well, there's this guy in, in uh, El Paso, Texas, and he's promised me a job. It's like, El Paso, Texas. It's like, El Paso, Texas. So if I can get there, I can have like a new life. All right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? It's like, you know what? No, he has no other soul in his life right now that will help him get to El Paso, Texas. So I go to Greyhound, buy him a ticket for El Paso, Texas. Help pack him up, get him out of the hotel, send him on his way. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. New life. Seven hours later, I get a phone call. Hey, buddy, how's your bus to El Paso? He's like, I'm uh, in L.A. and I'm heading back. I'm like, what? It's only been seven hours. He's like, well, I called the security woman a fat pig, and so they threw me off and they canceled my ticket. It's like, I should have bought duct tape for your mouth with that bus pass. Oh, it's a non-refundable ticket. You know, I was like, and he caused such a ruckus. They're like, we're not taking you anywhere else. You're lucky you're not going to jail. It was so bad. But here's what the enemy wanted to do in me in that moment, to say, never do something like this ever for anyone for else again. That's what the enemy wanted to say is like, all these people are going to help. They're just going to like mess it up, use you, lie to you. They're going to do all that stuff. But we can't let a... a a momentary failure on an outcome stop us from doing amazing things in the kingdom. Because what the enemy wants to do is discourage me ever from doing something like that. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Actually, in God's eyes, I was faithful. When I get to heaven, I get to stand before God and say, God, I was faithful. I couldn't help that he couldn't keep his mouth shut, but you knew I did my part. And you say, absolutely. You responded. You took the opportunity and responded. And so the rewards of God are based upon you being faithful, you showing up, not being incredibly productive or even successful in your endeavor. We want to be productive and successful. Don't get me wrong. But we can't be discouraged when it doesn't go right. So if you tried something before and it completely bombed, don't let it stop you. 
Aim for faithfulness for the opportunity. Go forward without fear. Let me put a bow on this. It's important that you get up and do something. It's so important that you get up and do something. God is actually waiting on you to be the miracle for somebody. You have no idea, but you are actually an answer to prayer waiting to be unlocked. Every day you live, you live as an answer of prayer waiting to be answered if you would move. So God is waiting on you, so be awesome and go do great things. Go do something great and different and new and do something adventurous. Do something that's like just not the $2 to the homeless man. But that's fine, but like we need to enter like a, a whole new realm in, in our, our faith and our journey. It says, actually, God, what else can we do? Because I'm not in competition with you for glory. I'm not in competition with you for performance. So you need to go out and be awesome and do the great things. We also need to be alert for how God speaks. We need not just to listen to hear, but also to respond from here. And so as you live a normal life, I'm like, don't stress out about doing things to do. If you have the mind, if you have an open heart, you'll be welcomed with many opportunities on a daily basis to do something. And then don't focus on the size of the impact because God rewards you for your faithfulness, not your effectiveness.